1: Hello there and welcome to episode 41 of the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. Back quite quickly after the draw episode. Thank you very much for the feedback on that one. Now I thought I'd start with almost any other business before we crack on with this episode. Regarding the draws, I thought I'd covered them all. Turns out on the day I'd released it, another draw was made. So just to keep up to date, Tuesday the 11th of December saw the qualifying draw for the under-21 Euro 2021 tournament that takes place in Hungary and Slovenia. AD Bouvroyd's Young Lions were drawn against Austria, Turkey, Kosovo, Albania and Andorra. Hopefully, that's the lot now. We'll try and keep tabs on those fixtures next year. Secondly, after we spoke with CJ Joyner and Tom Kunder on episode 40 about the Nations League... Registration for our two games in Portugal has since opened for Travel Club members. We have been allocated 10,000 tickets, which is a decent amount. If you are a Travel Club member, head to the website, register there. The stadium, Estadio D'Afonso Enriquez in Guamares has a capacity of 30,000 for our first game against Holland. And I imagine the Dutch have been offered the same too. So it's bound to be a great atmosphere. So do you like the twinkly music? I thought we'll throw it in just for this episode. So now that's cleared up, we've made it through to the end of the year. It's been quite a 2018 on all fronts. So I thought we will take a look back over it. Now, recently, Andy Walker, the senior communications officer for England, tweeted this. If my maths are correct, at England's men, under 17 to seniors, 2018 record stands at played 81, 153, drawn 15, lost 13. Goals scored 165, goals against 76 asterisk penalty shootouts are registered as draws wow what an amazing feat now I'd like to thank Andy for his help at various points throughout this year he has been very generous in his support for this podcast just goes to show you what sort of year we have had on the football front from the young lions through to the seniors and whilst we've mentioned the men I think the Lionesses deserve credit too. Big wins against France and Wales. And their record for the year reads like this. Played 9 won 5 drawn 3 and lost only one. That only loss coming against the USA. Another great year for the Lionesses. And next year is going to be even bigger for the girls. Now on the podcast front... It all began for me going alone at the turn of the year as Ryan Power handed the reins to me. More from him later. Slightly daunted at the beginning of it, I've managed to knock out 26 episodes this year, including seven over the period of the World Cup. Now, when Ryan passed it to me, he said, It's a big year. You never know what will happen. I never envisaged four episodes later that I'd be interviewing Gareth Southgate. What a thrill. Slightly nervous, but he did put me at ease. Darius Vassell and Alex Scott were also amazing to chat with too. I've also managed to sit down with former physio Gary Lewin and manager Peter Taylor. Both episodes are still available to listen to in the usual places. I've made many good contacts who have all contributed to the podcast in various ways, so thank you very much if you have been a voice on it. I've also been a guest on Talksport. Love Sport and my local BBC station, Three Counties, all through this podcast. And the year has culminated in an appearance on the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year. I know. If you'd have said to me at the start of the year that that would all happen, I would have politely told you to uh, go away. I'd have also said the same thing if you'd have told me England would make it to the semi-finals of the World Cup. It really did happen. Not sure how I'm going to top it next year, but I will try. Now, I'd like to welcome to the podcast once again. It's it's Davy Naylor from Englandstats.com, who last joined us on episode thirty-three, which was ahead of the the Spain and Switzerland home games. Davy, how are you?
2: Very well, Russell. How are you? Nice to speak to you again.
1: Yeah, all well, good, thank you. All good. England remained in fifth place in the, the latest new rankings. Last time we spoke, you were you were keen on on the new format, the rankings were going.
2: Yes, to a certain extent. Yes, it's, it's it's quite a long story. I don't know how long you have, really, but I mean, FIFA during the summer decided they were going to completely revamp their um, rankings, and they decided after a long period, which they consulted absolutely nobody apart from themselves, they came up with a magical formula which seemed to work very well. It had uh, the good teams like France, World Cup winners, other top Belgium, who obviously got to the semi final. England were up, then Croatia were were there. The way they did it though, it means that after we've had a, you know, we've had two or three months now of uh, the rankings come out and whilst there are some really good parts of it they they probably need to go back and tweak a little bit for example England are fifth now and they're probably about 100 120 points behind France and Belgium and it will probably take England beating France or Belgium about 10 times in the next sort of year for for England to get anywhere near France or Belgium so that there it's it's not without its flaws I, I must admit but it's certainly better than what it was the old system Allowed teams to that didn't play friendlies to to keep a exaggerated position. Um, you 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 were penalised effectively for paying a friendly because it didn't um, have enough ranking points because your your score was averaged out over the amount of matches you played over a year. If you played a friendly or two friendlies or three friendly, your score would automatically because of the averaging go down. So those teams that didn't play friendlies, you know, stayed at the top of the rankings. But they sorted that out now. It's kind of like a, a, a nil sum um, game really, where points are exchanged, uh, depending on rankings. Uh, so it's a little bit better. And England are indeed fifth. They're just a few points behind Croatia, in, still in fourth, with Brazil and then a Bel- uh, France, then Belgium, still at the top.
1: So if, hypothetically speaking, and keep my fingers crossed, we were to win the Nations League next year, would that see us go up a couple of spaces? Or would um, we have to hope that Croatia... Um, and- it could, I mean, now this is the great
2: thing about um, this Nations League. Now, now we were we were umming and ahhing about um, when we spoke back in October about whether this Nations League was actually a good thing. And I think the consensus was it, it's a new tournament, it's a fledgling tournament, we'll have to give it a bit of time. But after watching the game against Croatia where at Wembley, where in a space of 10 minutes, Croatia were going through, England were being relegated, and then when England equalised, Spain were going through, and then when England got the winner, England were going through, and Croatia got relegated, all in 10 minutes. Uh, This new fledgling tournament actually had a, you know, at a certain point was was quite good fun, and also what it meant was that now England, of the four teams that have qualified, along with Portugal, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, are the highest-ranked team left in this competition, and therefore, technically the favourites. But... Sadly, the Nations League ranking points are the same as European Championship qualifiers. So whilst we're playing the Nations League in next June, the finals, all the other teams that aren't playing the Nations League are playing uh, European qualifiers and they are the same amount of points. So I very much doubt England will probably, if they do well before then, will probably go up into fourth position above Croatia. But I can't see them challenging brazil in third or even france and belgium they're, they're miles off and the way this new system works it makes it very difficult to to and, unless you're the world cup and, and, and finals tournaments you know like the european finals or the or, or the confederations cup they have lots of ranking points exchanged but right. um it's going to be quite difficult for England. but but they're, they're going in the right direction let's just say. okay
1: englandstats.com how's how's the website been going
2: uh, very well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm adding new bits all, all the time. One, of the, one interesting thing that happened back in October was when England had a remarkable victory against Spain in Seville. a 3-0 up at half-time, which is it's quite a staggering result, really. It's one of, probably one of the best England results uh, for quite a long time, especially an away result. What makes it even more interesting, it was one of the youngest teams for 40 years. The average age of the starting 11. And it occurred to me that um, one of the things I don't have on there is you can't actually search by starting 11. So I I added that very quickly after that game because a lot of people were asking
1: me. "Um, How easy was that to do?
2: Oh, it's well, the database is... Quite a quite a big database. All I've got to do is just put in uh, the right parameters and get it to spew out the right results. Really, all you got to do is do a do a basic search. Really, but it's just the web, getting the website to do it. But the interesting thing I find out because everybody was everybody was asking me. So is this the youngest team ever? And it's not even even in the top twenty of youngest teams. Don't forget when international football started in the eighteen seventies, most people were young twenties. Yeah. So, but this is most definitely the youngest team. That that's that team that beat Spain. Was the youngest team in forty odd years, and the next young, the, the one before that was actually the last time England won in Spain.
1: Against, Is it really?
2: Yeah, forty years ago. Yeah, so <laughs> quite quite ironic. Really. I don't know if ironic coincidence. But it was a nice coincidence. But what was the score back then? Oh gosh, now you got me on the spot now. um um, ask me
1: another question. And I'll come back to with that statistic at some point. <laughs> okay, you, you let me know as and when. Got it. As it's a Christmas come New Year, looking back over the uh, over the past year, twenty eighteen, I was going to hopefully you can give us some some stats we can get our teeth into.
2: Absolutely. I mean I've got some uh, twenty eighteen stats. Um twenty eighteen has been an extraordinary year for England football and um, the England national team. That they have surpassed quite a few records and match quite a few matches. They they played seventeen matches in twenty eighteen. That's the most since nineteen sixty six, the World Cup winning year of nineteen sixty six. And don't forget, Alf Ramsey had his team play a load of friendlies prior to the to the World Cup that year. They they played about 10 friendlies. Don't forget, you know, most of the games that they played that year were friendly because they weren't qualifying for anything. Of course,
1: there were hosts, yeah. uh,
2: Yeah, I think think in 66, they played around about 17, 18 times. So it is... And also, what makes it more interesting is that they have... Most of those games were competitive games. 11 of them were competitive, and that's the most since 1982. They did play 11 competitive games in 1993, but, but some of those games were called the United States Cup, which... Oh, yes. Well, there was a cup involved, so I guess, in a way, there was a bit of competition. You know, they were nothing more than real friendly, so I think we can discount that. So, yes, most um, competitive games and the most wins in the year. They won 10 games in 2018, and that's the most since 1986
1: during the uh, World Cup in Mexico. And the most goals
2: as well since 82. 28
1: goals England scored. um, and Harry Kane... Am I right in saying he got the most since Gary, you know, the calendar year since Gary Lineker? I don't
2: have that stat with me, but I do believe I did look that up uh, a couple of days ago. And yes, it's something like the the most goals in a calendar year since Gary Lineker did it in, I believe it was late 80s. I can't remember exactly which year. Yes, it's been a long time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's done well, Harry Kane, hasn't he? Although, uh, he has far, five of those, I think, came at the World Cup and two, well, one came against Croatia and I'm going to struggle with where the other one came.
2: The other one came. Oh, now you've got me on the spot now. Well, actually, the one against Croatia was his first for, for seven games. He hadn't scored since the second round match against Colombia. He scored. He, he scored one against Nigeria in a friendly in June, and then two there against a hat against Panama, and then he scored against Colombia. But then he was very. He hadn't scored since till he got that toe tapper in against Croatia, which was but um, a, a, a nice way to round the year off in a yeah. way. Yeah. What well, what else have you got to answer your question earlier? It was thirty one years ago that um, England beat Spain. Um, it was four two. Was
1: that Gary Lineker's four goals? Gary Lineker's four goals. Yes. Whilst he was uh, eight, yeah, whilst he was playing in Spain for Barcelona, I believe in in Madrid. Well,
2: uh, it was the last time the time we beat Spain in Spain. In fact, actually, it was the last time that England actually scored a goal in Spain. That doesn't count against. Andorra, because we did play a couple of games in Barcelona against Andorra. So technically they were in Spain. Yeah. They were moved to Barcelona to accommodate the the larger England crowd, but they were technically home games. So yeah.
1: And what what we're gonna do on this episode is, is just take a look back at some highlights from 2018. And I believe you've got a, uh, a highlight that you'd like to share with us.
2: I think my highlight, I think I've already touched on this earlier, but my highlight of the year so far, yes, we, we got to a semi-final of a World Cup, which is a fantastic achievement. But I really do think that England's 3-2 win against Spain in October at, in Seville after being 3-0 up... It is definitely my not only my highlight of 2018, but I think it's my England highlight of probably the last five years, not not since when we beat Croatia 4-1 in Croatia, or even the, the beautiful 5-1 in Germany, which is hallowed turf. So that that always was one of my favourite games, the 5-1, but I think now the, the, the 3-2, and don't forget one of those Spanish goals was kicked in but in, in the very last seconds of seven minutes of overtime, eight minutes. So I think Sergio Ramos got his boot to, or his head to, to a corner. So really it should have been 3-1. I mean, they got very lucky getting one goal back at but, the end. But, but the, the first half of that game, I, I was quite dumbstruck with just how easy it was. And I'm not, not, not suggesting that, you know, in England, I couldn't believe how naive the Spanish defending was and this is Spain, they're a very top team. Don't forget, you know, that recent times they've won European Champions and World Cups and they're still, okay, they didn't do so well during the um, World Cup, but they beat England at Wembley and they did hammer Croatia, knocking in six goals um, in the first of their Nations League earlier on the month before. And going to Spain as we've already discussed, you know, England have not even scored for 31 years since since Lineker got his got his four goals. So to be three nil up after thirty eight minutes, with the most breathless display of counter attacking football I think I've seen an England team do in a long time, plus a a Spanish team that that still I know that obviously quite a few teams as uh, quite a few Spanish players are retired now, but you still had R- Ramos and uh, Alonso. You got Busquets still there. De Gea was was helpless in goal. He, he's been absolutely awesome for, for Manchester United, but he, he, he seems to. When he puts his international gloves on, it doesn't seem to be doing so well. So they 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 didn't know what to do. They really didn't know what to do. They, they rallied in the second half and got two goals back. The starting 11, you got Pickford, Trippier, Chilwell, Dyer, Gomez, Maguire, Barkley, Winks, Kane, Sterling, Rashford was the starting 11. And then coming on was Walker, Alexander, Arnold and Chaloba. With Sterling uh, scoring two, which and that was very beautiful as well, because Sterling's always been criticised for quite a long time for not scoring too many goals. I think he works tirelessly hard, but he doesn't always come in as much as he should. So it's nice to see him get a couple there as well. So that's my that's my game of twenty eighteen.
3: Over his head, unable to collect. Now Rashford Sterling through the middle. No flag. Raheem Sterling! The long wait is over. It's his first ever England away goal. And it's given the supposed underdogs tonight a 16th minute lead here in Seville. He's got Rashford in and England could get a second here. They have done. Inside the opening half an hour. Another brilliant moment here in the home of Betis for Gareth Southgate and his very young England team. Barkley. That's another one for Sterling. No offside. It's a Monday night masterclass for Gareth Southgate and his team. England have won. Spain two, England three. Hi Russell, Ryan Power here, former host of the Three Lines podcast. And may I say what a sterling job you've done of taking on to the next level in 2018? Thank you for asking me. For my opinion, it's been a great year, hasn't it, this year? With so many highlights to choose from. In previous years, we might have struggled to come up with even one, but this year there have been so many course, the World Cup, Harry Kane winning the golden boot, maybe even Spain away more recently. But I'm going to go a little bit left of centre and I'm going to say my highlight for the year was England 2, Sweden 0. Or actually just after England 2, Sweden 0 because I felt that there was a real feeling of, God, we might actually go on and win this competition the way it's panning out. There's a real sense of belief like never before across the country. Of course, that only lasted for three or four days, didn't it? Before we were unceremoniously dumped out by Croatia. But what a feeling that really was. I don't think as an England fan I've ever felt like that before. Of course, I've always had blind optimism, as so many England fans do, but I think so many felt that actually the way that the draw was panning out, that it really, really might have happened for us. Long may that uh, feeling come back again. It's been an incredible, amazing year, 2018, that will go down in the annals of history for England, and let's hope that it's something that we can continue to build on. Cheers, Russ. Keep up the good work. Who's on the end of it? England are on the end of it. And
4: it is Maguire. Barry Maguire's first international goal. It's another set piece which comes off the Gareth Southgate's team. And so it's into a useful area.
5: I'm from England, block 109. Just talking about my highlights from the air, it's got to be Russia. Everything about Russia was brilliant. One of my best highlights was probably Samara um, and also the Colombia round of 16 game. Round of 16 game against Colombia purely because the joy and um, The feeling we felt after winning in Penawee Shootout, we'd never felt before. I've never seen so many uh, bodies all over the place uh, after Penawee Shootout like that. Um, That was one amazing feeling. (laughs) Overall from the tournament, um, I think my strongest highlights in general would be Samara, purely because that was a brilliant place. We had a few days in the sun on the beach. Uh, People were nice there. And then the moment when we won the quarterfinal, going on to the semifinal again, that feeling was just amazing. To share it with so many friends and um, others who had travelled out there, that, that was something special. Um, that you know, that can't really be uh, replicated in any other form. That was, that was one of the best moments. Yeah, it was brilliant.
0: It's Dom Smith, 18 years old, writer of englandfootball.org. So my highlight is definitely the England versus Columbia penalty shootout on the 3rd of July at the World Cup. Uh, and there are some reasons for that. I think, frankly, I don't think we played that well, actually. I don't think there was a particularly good midfield link. I felt like Lingard and Ali, who was supposed to be the creative player that all the pundits are crying out for, really only got on the ball in this game uh, on the wings, filling in for the fullbacks, and weren't really able to transition from... The Henderson and later on Dyer route all the way through to Kane very well. I think this is the best highlight for me, because frankly the best sides win when they don't play well, and I don't think we. I don't think we did play well, but we ground out the result. Uh, we won in the face of much adversity. You know, Colombia had poor discipline, very poor discipline. There was the Wilmar Barrios headbutt. There were many fouls. There was the uh, scraping of the of the penalty spot before Harry Kane's penalty, which was a very calm penalty, by the way. Of course, the last-minute equaliser. So they had to come back from quite a lot of heartache, really, in that game. It was practically an away game, too, which is also worth noting because of the um, sheer number of Colombia fans that turned up. I mean, 40,000, something like that, which is a ludicrous number for a match being held in not in a different country, but in a different continent to them. But I think Gareth Southgate helped his players own the penalty shootout process. I think they absolutely did own it. All of the England penalties were exemplary, including Jordan Henderson's, by the way, which didn't go in. And it's the night where heroes were born, and they were born. Eric Dyer, (laughs) with his, uh, okay, maybe the worst of the five penalties, but you know what? The goalie needed to save it, and he didn't. Trippier banged it in the top corner. Jordan Pickford, of course, excellent, excellent save. And we ended our dreadful run, our dreadful, dreadful run of penalty shootouts. I think we previously had seven, one victory, and that was in the European Championships against Spain before we then lost another one in the next round with Gareth Southgate missing. And he's the man that got it all wrong 20 years ago, 22 years ago, and he's the man that put it right this time. It was our first World Cup penalty shootout victory. And there we go. It happened against Colombia in the round of 16. And we went on to achieve pretty good things in that tournament. The World Cup, of course, an easy victory over Sweden made them look very average, which they're absolutely not, by the way. So my highlight for facing so much adversity and grinding out the result, like I'm sure maybe not this year, but a normal Germany or a Holland or an Italy would certainly do. We've got to be playing like them and getting results like them in big, big matches if we want to be an elite nation and against Colombia that night. We certainly did
4: england's first match in the knockout stage at this world cup ends in a one-one draw columbia won england won after extra time and you know what that means it's penalties for england harry kane up to the ball right footed drives it low and in rashford and he's ready now he moves round to his left And then up to the ball, and he hits it firmly and powerfully. Past Ospina's dive to his right. Henderson next for England. Here he goes. Jordan Henderson. It's saved, and it's advantage, Colombia. This is Uribe, who's going to take this. And he's hit the crossbar. Kieran Trippier must score this excellent penalty. Swept it right-footed high up to Ospina's right and into the net. Carlos Baca, the 31-year-old. Up he comes. It's saved. He got a left arm to it, and it's advantage England now. This is the moment. It's Tottenham against Arsenal. Dyer against Ospina. He scores! England have won the penalty shootout for the first time in a World Cup. They're through to the quarterfinals. Off they go to
6: celebrate. CJ Joyner. My moment of 2018. It's a year full of moments, wasn't it? Mainly highs, to be honest from the trippy ace-free kick, you know, we'll forget about what happened after that, to a penalty shootout win, just getting through to a semi-final of the World Cup. But for me, the highlight of the whole year was, it was a bit of an odd one. Ramos scoring late on in injury time, picking up, I think he, I think he picked up the ball he, he sprinted back to the halfway line thinking, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And then the ref blew his whistle. As the ref blew that whistle, that was the highlight for me of the whole, of the whole year. Just the fact that it was Ramos as well and how, how annoyed and angry he was uh, that he did that, even though I think the ref played another minute or two minutes, more than what he should have done really in the first place anyway. So, yeah, that, that's my highlight of the year.
7: My name's Richard Laverty. I'm a women's football writer and journalist. Um, my highlight of 2018 was England qualifying for the World Cup in Wales. It was a game I was at covering live. It was an absolutely fantastic atmosphere. It was an atmosphere that I've never really experienced before in women's football in this country. The Wales fans were fantastic. The England fans were fantastic. It was a real I think it was a big turning point for women's football in Wales, particularly to fill out the stadium, to have an atmosphere like that, and it was a fantastic occasion, fantastic game, and England came up trumps in the end, winning 3-0, but it wasn't without Wales pushing them all the way and trying as hard as they could and for where they've come from.
4: Taylor was in there, goalkeeper sprawls, curly square, bugger, 1-0 England, the deadlock is broken.
7: It was a fantastic effort, but, yeah, I think on a personal level to be at that game and, and to witness that and the whole build up to it as well, two British teams going head to head for what was basically a, a winner takes all situation. If Wales had won, um, they'd have qualified for the World Cup for the first time ever. In the end, England won, and, and Wales unfortunately didn't even get a playoff, which you know, says it all for about what was at stake And
6: here's a Lucy Bronson lob it back Jill Scott with a
4: header England have a second
7: yeah just overall it was a fantastic occasion brilliant night under the lights at Newport um, and England ran out 3-0 winners comfortably and I think we'll hopefully have more highlights next year at the World Cup but for 2018 that was my highlight
4: in comes the uh, free kick which into the near post the keeper spilt it it's in I think Paris has got the last touch and England have a three-goal lead. Phil Neville's side are in a very dominant position.
1: Some great memories there. Thank you to Ryan Power, Dom Smith, Kunal Sapat, CJ Joyner and Rich Laverty for contributing there. And not just there, but to the past year as well. Right, let's get back to Davey from EnglandStats.com. Let's talk about that 1,000th England game. Now this was recorded before our Euro 2020 fixtures were announced. And Davey has since tweeted that our home game against Montenegro on the 14th of November will be our 1,000th game. We shall see.
2: The other interesting thing which will happen sometime next year will be England's 1,000th game. Well, we did touch on this last time we talked. That will happen. We're up to 991. The Croatia game was 991, so we've got nine more to go. So
1: You would think that they would make a big deal out of the 1,000th game, but what with the, the fixture schedule, I don't think they're going to be able to do that, are they?
2: No. I don't think so. It will probably be sometime this time next year, about October 2019. It will have to be a, a qualifying game, unless they can shoehorn in a friendly against... It would have to be against Scotland, I guess, being because obviously the first international and, and the biggest rivalry, in the, the very first international rivalry, England and Scotland. So it would have to surely be against them. But I don't think they can because all the fixture list is completely full. Uh, but they, we,
1: they, we not, are... the. F- First team to reach a thousand games, aren't we? We are indeed. Yes, I think so. FIFA would surely, surely want to to have some sort of celebration.
2: Um, the, the Brazil and Argentina are not too far behind, but they have the old they have the longest running right. Well, no, well England, England, so England and Scotland have the oldest running rivalry. 1872, the very first international game, a very drab nil nil <laughs> uh, in Partick was the first game, very boring nil nil. And so that thick fixture has been going, but of course it only went until in, in the guise of the British Home Championship till 1984, and then, then very sporadically since then. Brazil and Argentina have, certainly they play each other every year, you know, in in various tournaments. So I mean, they certainly played a lot more. But it, but it, yeah, it's it's England will be the first team to get to a thousand games, thousand, thousand official games. It's quite interesting times coming up. I mean, I'm I'm quite a. It's quite a good time to be an England fan. I think. I mean, I remember the heady days of '86 World Cup and the 1990 World Cup. I remember the really poor days of not qualifying for the for the '94 World Cup and then, you know, not qualifying for the 2008 European Championship and and the wally with the broly. It's rather a nice time to be an England fan. I think. Quite enjoying this, and I'm quite. I'm enjoying doing the website as well. You have to remember that. I think my darkest hours, you know, like the day after England had lost to Iceland in the Euro twenty sixteen. Imagine having to sort of like put in all the stats for that game. You're thinking, I just don't want to do this at all. No. It's quite nice doing it now because you know England seemed to be doing rather well and you know the people are going around with the smiles on their faces, playing great football and having a great time. And and what's more One of the youngest teams England have had for a long time. So the future is very, very bright, I think. The footballing gods are looking kindly on Gareth Southgate. It, things are going the right way, and, and you, know, you know when you're, for example, a team at the bottom of the Premiership and you just can't get a win, and all the luck goes against you. Like what happened with Steve McLaren, you know, during that yeah. game against Croatia, you know, everything happened, everything went wrong. It was all about his umbrella, or it was all about the. It was because there was a American football game played on there at Wembley the week before, and and the mud was, you know, it was raining and it was terrible, and that was the problem so you know there's always excuses and i think you know if you, if you've got luck and i think if you've got if things go right for you people are uh- tend to forget about the rubbish stuff, to be honest. And and that's what's happened with Gareth. You know, he seems to maybe he creates his own luck. And um, to be honest, good luck to him. You know, so maybe maybe that's the way forward. Maybe England should be more lucky than they should be more skilled. Maybe they might get through more tournaments. I mean I, I've done a lot of luck during the last World Cup. So may, maybe that is a factor. Maybe that's what, what we should do. But
1: yeah we are we are due our slice of luck I think that's
2: true. That's true. That is very true. I think also what Gareth has brought to, to the England team is also savviness outside that, you know, being creating luck, creating their own situation. And I say the football gods seem to be smiling on, on England right now and the future is very bright and the path forward to new tournaments and how those tournaments could open up is vastly different now simply because of the, way, the different way that they've started to play and the, the advantages of winning games. One interesting stat to find, like, the England-Croatia game was the first time that England were trailing with 20 minutes to go of a competitive match and then won the match since they beat Cameroon in Italian 90.
1: Really? That's
2: an interesting I can't say that it's my stat. Somebody else found this out. I I'd have confirmed that it is true. Since Cameroon in 1990 World Cup, England been trailing but, um, and then won in the
1: last 20 minutes wow there you go <laughs> quite specific to be in the to be trailing and then winning in the last 20 minutes yeah Davy, thank you very much not a
2: problem my friend not a problem
1: oh wish you a happy christmas
2: and oh, yes, absolutely and, and all your um listeners happy christmas as well oh,
1: very kind and uh yeah all, all the very best for the new year and, and we'll catch up in 2019
2: Mate, take care now bye
1: So there we have it. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to all who have listened over the past 12 months. Whether you're a long-term listener or you've just found us, please do spread the word. Like, subscribe and review on your podcast channels, please. Now, I'm always open as to how to take the podcast forward. If there's anything you would like to hear or like changed, please drop me a line. You can find us on Twitter at 3 Podcast. And also search on Facebook, you'll find us on there. We are on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and also at www.3lionspodcast.com. In the meantime, I'd like to take this opportunity to wish you a Merry Christmas and all the very best to you, your family, your friends and of course Gareth Southgate in 2019. Here's to Lifting a Trophy next year.